0: Hello and Bienvenido San Antonio. Welcome to the Alamo Hour, discussing the people, places, and passion that make our city. My name is Justin Hill, a local attorney, a proud San Antonian, and keeper of chickens and bees. On the Alamo Hour, you'll get to hear from the people that make San Antonio great and unique and the best kept secret in Texas. We're glad that you're here. All right. Welcome to the Alamo Hour. Today's guest is Christian Archer. Christian Archer is a man of many things I was learning today. Uh, I think best known to me is you were good friends with my old boss and former mentor and former guest, Michael Watts. Y'all worked on a bunch of projects together, but I knew you also ran Julian's campaign, Hardburger's campaign. Um, you were instrumental in getting Scully to come to the city and you're also a filmmaker and author now, I read.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right.
0: So when's the movie coming out? <laughs>
1: Uh, you know, we're working on it. In fact, in fact, I'm working on it today. Um, we've got a guy who is, uh, closely associated with Bradley Cooper, um, who's now taking over the project. Um, and he wants to do a several part, um, uh, series. So the first one, Justin, uh, you know, back when Michael got indicted on 95 felony counts, you know, most people thought he was going to prison because um, yeah, most basis. people
0: go to prison with that when that happens
1: 99.7 percent of them to be yeah. exact yeah um when Michael got indicted um and so you know look a lot of people a lot of people um, thought michael was done um his story was just beginning uh, I think um obviously it was a terrible terrible time uh, but I lived it with my best friend um a mentor to me um a guy who I love dearly I know we both do michael. Uh, Watts is, he's just an amazing person. Um, So I wrote a book uh, about that experience and what it was through my eyes to watch somebody go through 95 felony counts and watch a lot of people turn their back on him. Sure. Uh, A lot of good friends kind of disappear. You really do learn who your friends are. Uh, I went to trial with him uh, in Biloxi. We planned to, you know, basically live there for four months and uh, he defended himself. I mean, it was the craziest Crazy. thing you've ever seen in a lifetime and it was enough to make a movie and a book about. Um, and so, uh, we're working on the book and the movie right now. The second part to that is, um, so we're looking at an eight part episodic series on what happened to Michael, because during the trial, uh, I don't know if you know this, but I filmed the whole thing, brought in a film crew and yeah. shot the whole thing. Oh, I knew there was a crew.
0: I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think you were actually the one holding the
1: camera though. Well, I wasn't holding the camera thing. <laughs> so Thank goodness, it, there is actually usable footage of this. When did
0: y'all start the film? When did y'all know y'all were gonna start making a book or a movie about this?
1: You know what? It was funny. Um the what was it, the big Netflix hit. Um
0: Making uh, a Murder. Uh what was it? Making a murder.
1: Making of a murder. Yeah. Um had just come out and Michael and I were talking about this. And, you know, he was obviously look, he was there was a severe depression. <laughs> Um, you know, after yeah. so many years of not knowing if you were going to get indicted, then the indictment, then the trial and all of the above, and just to kind of lighten the mood, I told him, I said, look, I said, I, wouldn't it be great to write a, a, a book about it or do a making of a murderer style, a uh, Netflix doc. And it's like a light bulb went off and, and, it, and it gave him a little bit of hope and a little bit of, of something to, um, take, take away from his daily dose of 95 felony counts, which was a brutal, brutal Jeez. thing to watch. So was Get it because,
0: you know, people who listen to the Watts episode, they're going to know like there was the investigation in the raids. Then there was nothing for a long time. And then Ron Johnson put a bug in somebody's ear. And next thing we know, there's an indictment. When did the uh, film and bookmaking progress, uh, process start?
1: It was really after the indictment okay. and after we read the kind of salacious stuff that Watts didn't know about uh, regarding the other people who were indicted. You know, Greg Warren and Christy Lee, who ended up obviously going to prison um, for what they did to Michael. But um, it was really after the salacious parts of how they they blew through his money and and all of the lies that they told. um, It was like, wow, you couldn't even make up that script. Nobody in in Hollywood would buy it if you tried to sell the script. Um, And yet, you know, I got to got to watch my best friend go through that um, tragedy of his life. You know, in the prime of his career, I mean, right smack dab in the middle of, of Michael Watts. You know, his his trajectory was like the space shuttle at the time. Yeah, um, and then it all came crumbling down for four years. It, it just crumbled around him, and it was uh, it was hard to watch. Obviously, there's a redemptive part to that, um, part of what will be included in the in the in the series. But you know, I think I think one very important thing that was missed out was. You know, here here he was, our close friend, preparing for the trial of a lifetime. I mean, the pinnacle of his career, and he worked a year just tirelessly on this PowerPoint presentation about about BP and everything that went wrong. And you know, kind of the we were all robbed of watching him and his and his genius at work. Um, in and in people doing- who
0: don't know Watts is a worker. I mean at a different level than than you would think so when you say he really worked I mean that guy's a different kind of animal when it comes to working
1: yeah and, and to watch that 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 switch you know when he realized I'm gonna I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to do this and the decision making of representing himself yeah. which you know every major every every well-known lawyer in the country called either him or me and said you are a lunatic <laughs> if yes. you think you're going to represent yourself, Against the 95, you know, count felony charge against yourself. To be fair, he had, he had a good
0: co-counsel in Mike Crum who was going to be trying it with him. It, it, it allowed a little bit of an extra padding than just literally trying it alone.
1: Yeah, you know, Justin, it was, it was a beautiful thing to watch those guys, um, you know, bat it back and forth during the trial itself. Mike McCrum is, is a genius. Um, Michael Watson, you know, he's, he was, he was one and as a defense lawyer. Um, and it's a damn good thing he had Mike McCrum. Yeah, uh, it really is. And and to watch those guys, it was truly a ballet each day to watch them in court and how they they played off of each other. And, and, um, you know, that, that experience watching the jury, watching the federal prosecutors just do such a horrible job, um, and two really brilliant lawyers going at them in court with something special and that's that'll be the basis of the uh of the first part of the series the next part um second season will actually deal with the california wildfires which is what we've been working on for the last three years so his first
0: season kind of part michael but also part the problems with our criminal justice system
1: it it definitely is i mean you know look there, there there are there are some real problems with criminal justice reform you know and and i you know not i'm not a lawyer so watching the, the, the fight that, that he had to go through each day um, when it came to all of the roadblocks put up in front of someone trying to make a defense for themselves, it was incredible. Um, the power that the federal government had over the judicial system and how they just robbed him of knowledge of, well, what are you trying to convict him of? And they wouldn't give him his, you know, who was going to testify him, who was going to be in court the next day until six o'clock at night. Then they'd give him this long, completely bogus list of 30 people when you know they were only going to call five. But yet we had to prepare for 30 because you didn't know which ones would actually be called. Justin, it was the craziest um, abuse of power. What John Dowdy did, who was the guy who ended up indicting him, the, the wannabe governor of Mississippi, who was the interim federal prosecutor. Uh, he just wanted to notch on his belt. He wanted to bring down a big name trial lawyer. And it was embarrassing what he did to our judicial system, what he did to Michael. Um, and uh, And then the guy quit about a month and a half before the trial started because he knew Michael Watts was going to whoop his ass. And had that guy showed up in court, he would have had his ass whooped. And instead... You know, these other prosecutors kind of inherited this case, um, and it was an embarrassing thing for the, for the government, and Michael um, and his brother David and Winter Lee, um, you know, just slammed the door shut on their case. But in the end, Justin, when you think about, when you think about a, a civil case and how there's remedies um, in a criminal case, it's just go home. You took all of his money, froze all of his bank accounts, destroyed him reputationally, Destroyed him during the prime of his career, um, and then it was, oh yeah, not guilty. Okay, go home. Yep. No repercussions. No slap on the wrist. No, oh sorry, we destroyed your life and everything you'd built um, over your career, but you can go home now. It's it's you know now Michael's
0: rebound has been quite impressive in and of <laughs> itself. You know, so destroy yeah. You know, I think for most people it would have, but for Michael, he has bounced back in I think even a bigger way than he was before. It sounds like,
1: you, you know, Justin, I, I think that that, I, I think the way that he works, right. We talked about his work ethic. Yeah. is yeah. kind of, it's kind of unparalleled. I mean, the guy just, just works his tail off, but uh, you, you know, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to speak for Michael, but I can tell you, buddy, he went through a real depression. Um, I think his brother, David, uh, who's a dear friend of mine, is still suffering mm-hmm. um, from a PTSD, you know, you think you're, go- it, look, that year there was a 99.7% <laughs> conviction rate. And, um, you know, Michael knew that he was going to go to prison for the rest of his life and his brother David was for something that they didn't do. and it And it took a while for him to get out of that. And now I think he's out of it And I think that he's just so incredibly driven to go get those four years that were robbed from the guy's life. that He's just not going to slow down. I mean, he's just going a thousand miles an hour. So there is redemption. He's been able to, um, I I think that his work ethic and and what he's doing now is kind of trying to get those four years back. Um, But his brother, David um, you know, still, still suffering from it. You can see it in his eyes. I can't imagine. Uh, I
0: mean, he, the toll it takes on everybody around you, not, not just yourself, your family and your friends and reputationally and people abandoning you. I mean, uh, this has got to be a lot.
1: Yeah. It, it, it was really, really tough to watch, uh, somebody who's such a, at least in my mind and in my eyes, such a bright light, um, and Michael Watts to watch him go through it was, was incredibly depressing. Well, I'm glad he had you there
0: um, to help out and to make sure it got documented because documenting it turned out to be a really good idea. If it had not <laughs> turned out the way
1: y'all wanted it to, that probably would have gotten tossed. You know, Justin, in the end, he ruined the end of my movie. I mean, you know, the end of my movie was going to be him going to prison, yeah. and be, you know, but you know, he wrecked the end of my movie, but. But, just know.
0: have a choose your own adventure version okay. and people can decide what <laughs> yeah, they want right. to do well we got we kind of got off track of my normal process because I was wanting to know about your filmmaking um, which now I think I know but I want to run through a few small things I do with everybody who yeah. comes on the show um, obviously you've got San Antonio chops but how long have you uh, lived in San Antonio and what brought you here
1: you know I um, uh, I came in 2005. I had just come off of the the successful mayor's race in Houston um, in 2003 for a guy named Bill White. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I met a, I met Phil Hardberger. And I just, you know, in my very first meeting of the guy, I fell in love with him. Uh, he was running for mayor in 05. There were three major candidates running, a guy named Carol Schubert, who was kind of the Republican Northside city council member, uh, obviously Julian Castro. Was the favorite in that race yeah. and was blowing Hardberger and, and Schubert away, and it looked like he might even win without a runoff. How
0: old was he? And it,
1: um, who uh, uh, Castro? Castro? Oh gosh, he 30? was young.
0: Justin. <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, I want to say he's probably twenty-eight. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he was he was young. You know, it was it, it was it was coming off a, a rough period of time in San Antonio's history. Three of the city council members went to jail for. Uh minor bribery charges but you know they took a thousand dollar bribe here and there and and we made a joke during the Harburger campaign that if two more council members went to prison uh, that they would have their own quorum um in jail so we needed to be yeah. careful not so nobody else would go to jail because they'd yeah. be able to hold council meetings inside the bear county jail but <clears throat> so i moved here in 2005 to run Harburger's campaign i really didn't um didn't think that i would stay didn't realize how much I would fall in love with this city, um, and like you said in in the intro, uh, what a, what a hidden gem this city is, yep. and the power um, that the people have in the city was awesome. So in in 05 is when I moved here. Uh, I ran a hardbargers campaign. My every intention was to was to run the campaign, hopefully win, and then go on and run another political campaign. Um, but we came from from way behind uh, to end up beating Julian in the runoff. And, uh, Phil asked me to stay on board outside of city. I I never wanted to go to work for city. I wanted to be kind of a outside political arm to be able to get things done from outside city hall. And we made some real magic things happen for the city. Uh, and it was, it was the, uh, the funnest time that I had in politics were the four years that Phil Hardberger was mayor.
0: Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Hardburger because it kind of wraps into the Scully thing in a second. But you brought me to sort of one of the next things I do with everybody is is sort of some of your favorite hidden gems in the city. And, you know, Nuremberg brought up a, a Denman State Park, I think, and some of these things I've never even known about in the city. So do you have any sort of those hidden places in the city where you tell people, hey, you
1: really got to go check out this thing you've never heard of? Well, you know, I would say it's, it's so sad. I read about it in the newspaper. My favorite little restaurant um, my mother, son, my family's from New Orleans and there was a, there's a restaurant called the cookhouse, yeah. which, um, which was my favorite hidden gym restaurant in this tiny little house, uh, over off of St. Mary's. And I think it's, you know, maybe 20 tables yeah. in the whole place. And it was, it was some of the best food,
0: Yeah, um, they're,
1: the they're going to keep it. He's just changing the, the, uh, I think what they're, what they're doing, but, that would have been it, but it was in the newspaper that he's closing uh, for uh, good. But there, there are so many hidden gems. Uh, Hot Wells is probably a hidden gem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that's uh, that's beautiful. I think if you haven't been on the Mission Reach of the San Antonio River, uh, you're missing you're missing out. Uh, Hardberger Park, I think, uh, is another one of my favorite places to go in the city. Yeah. Um, so, but I the gotta check out the Land the river, Bridge.
0: Wait, say that again. I need to check out the land bridge. The land bridge is now open. Yeah, uh, you know, I went to Cookhouse for lunch one day, and I guess it wasn't open, but the front door was open, and I walk in, and it is death metal as loud as you can imagine, <laughs> and there's just some dude like cleaning. And uh-huh. That was my last time to Cookhouse. Well, the food's great the, though.
1: Oh my gosh, the food's great, and I think it's open for another month if, if. Uh, and then get closed or just changing menu? He's he's changing he's changing the um the direction of the restaurant. I, okay. You know, I, restaurants have a lifespan, yeah. and uh, I think Peter's just reached the lifespan of of a New Orleans style restaurant. Because um, it was he, a
0: it was a trailer in Eat Street at first, wasn't it? In that gosh. little trailer park that Jody and Steve Newman owned, or that uh, they yeah, ran yeah. across from Battalion. Uh-huh. I think that's where it started, and then they got their brick and mortar.
1: Yeah. It's well, food, it's though. it's uh, well, it's open, go check it out. I think uh, it's open for another month.
0: So you covered two things in, in that answer. Um what are your thoughts on the most recent election sort of locally? I mean, I'm not going to get into Donald Trump stuff, but sort of I mean, it was pretty surprising election. What do you think sort of uh it told you about San Antonio? We're a San Antonio based podcast. So what did you see in in terms of trends here locally?
1: Well, first, um we elected the first two women to um the Bexar County commissioner. Yeah. yeah. Are those the first um, two ever? Yeah, I didn't know um, that. And so, Rebecca Clay Flores defeated in in the in one of the biggest surprises of the Democratic primary was Rebecca Clay Flores beating Chico Rodriguez blowout. Um, I mean, it was a blowout yeah. too. That's right. And <laughs> and I don't think I I certainly didn't see it coming. Yeah. Um. You know, uh, Chico's a, a good friend of mine. Um. I think that you know he thought he was going to win. I wish he'd he'd run a more aggressive campaign, but good for Rebecca Clay Flores um, and and her campaign manager, Frankie. They ran a heck of a campaign. Um, And then Trish DeBerry on the north side had her own runoff in the Republican primary against uh, a guy who ran against Nelson Wolf, who's one of my clients, a guy named Tom Rickoff. Um, And so I was glad to see Trish win um, and the fact that there are now two women on the Bexar County Commissioner's Court is great. I think Bear County, every year that goes by, is becoming more and more Democratic. Um, when you look at the fact that in the gubernatorial, it used to be, Justin, that in the gubernatorial years was the big year for the Republicans to yeah. be competitive. Um, and then in the presidential years, because of the turnout, it, the county would go wholeheartedly Democratic. And in the gubernatorial races, they were mostly Republicans would win. Um, you know, In the last gubernatorial election, uh, the Democrats swept out all of the judges every seat that there was a democrat running for the democrat won elected a lot of new judges and so this two years from now uh, if it's affirmed and democrats continue to win uh, you know i think bear county is a is is going to be a, a solid democratic county um you know for the foreseeable future
0: yeah that was going to be my question to you because when i first moved here it was like that and it was even what maybe 6 or 8 years ago when they had that election that every Democrat except for David Rodriguez and the judiciary lost.
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, it wasn't and, that long and, and, ago. And we, we, you know, and it was frustrating, I think for people, you know, and, and I, I hate to say I'm a moderate Democrat, but I'm like a, I, you know, I kind of like, you know, when I, when I work for the mayors, um, I liked putting together a bipartisan group of Republicans, Democrats, independents, business community, community activists, and make something great happen. Um, but it was very frustrating to watch a bunch of great Democratic judges lose, and at the same time, a bunch of great Republican judges—they um, would lose in the presidential election, yeah. and they were just good judges. And it was sad to watch people like Burt Richardson and and others get beaten just because it was it was the that time of year or that certain election cycle. Um, but you know that's the way it is. We decided to make a make running for judge a partisan issue, as a state, which I think is stupid. Um, But uh, for now, that's the way it's going to be.
0: And then you have other counties like specifically Austin and and, Travis and Harris that it it swung so far sort of left that now you're having primaries that are being decided Democratic side, almost specifically by sex. It seems like in Harris County specifically, it seemed like if you were a female Democrat, you were sweeping out out male Democrats.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, well, look, you, you know. Um, I, 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 you don't get X number of points just by being a woman. Um, but I think that it's uh, women are, are taking a hold of government and I like it actually. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's great. I think when you look at the fourth court of appeals, um, when you look at a lot of these, the new young judges yeah. uh, in Bear County, uh, the talent pool um, is awesome. And I love seeing all these women, the women on city council, um it's it's I, I think it's it's wonderful. Yeah, kind um, of an
0: aside. Somebody mentioned Anna Sandoval to me in her resume the other day. And I mean, holy shit. Yeah,
1: right. <laughs> it's I like mean, MIT, it,
0: Stanford, Yale. I mean, I might have missed one, but it's it's Rhodes Scholar, maybe. I mean, something crazy. Her her yeah, resume is
1: just she, insane. And it, she's from it, Jefferson. She's not alone. Um, she's not she's not alone. And and when you look at at um, you know, the bench in Bear County and how young, I, I mean, yeah. now all of a sudden, I, I, I remember when I was considered the young pup in politics, <laughs> I am now like the old, you know, old man in politics now. It's so weird, but to see the the, the young talent pool for this county should give everybody a lot of hope um, and confidence in the future. Um, and that didn't come by accident, by the way. Yeah. There were a lot of people that worked real hard um, to make sure that we had a strong bench and, um, and the next generation getting elected to office. You'll see it again in this upcoming May election. You know, that's really, the city council is really the breeding grounds um, where people get their, their feet wet in politics for the first time, where you could still win an election with Shoe Leather Express. If you're a good candidate, you can knock on enough doors yeah. um, and go talk to enough people that you could win a city council race. Well, Scully and joke. A good, it's, a good way to, it's a good way to get your feet wet in politics to find out, one, do people like you, and do you have a compelling message? And two, um, how you ought to earn people's support and vote.
0: Scully joked that when she moved here, her husband said that everybody in San Antonio has been on city council. That was because <laughs> apparently back then, I guess it was four years total, and so everywhere they went, she said they just ran into all these former city council persons.
1: Yes, yeah. that that that's right. And and I, you know, I forget what the number was, but at some point, I kept a running total. While Cheryl was the city manager, it was something like 120 council members um, from the time we got her to be the, the, I mean, it was just something just completely bizarre. Five yeah. mayors, hundred and something council members. I mean, it's hard, um, which by the way, it, it, you know, not to get too far afield from from the question, but, you know, the need for more reforms um, in this city uh, to be able to provide a more stable government. Uh, you know, there are more uh, more needed reforms, um, such as, you know, when when I ran Hardberger's campaign, you could only serve two two year terms. Now you can serve four two year terms, so up to eight years. Yeah. Um, but you know, a two year term, you're they're constantly yeah. running for office. They they they're constantly looking over their shoulder at who's running at them next. Um, the, the campaign contributions are still five hundred dollars. No. Like, how are you going to communicate with any voters about what you care about when you can raise 500 bucks?
0: Hey, some of us can be big dog max donors at that level.
1: (laughs) It makes us feel important, right? I maxed out to you. I give you 500 bucks. Um, But, you know, I mean, we're we're the seventh largest city in America. And we got to start acting like it with uh, what we expect from our city council Um, and from the candidates that we get running. We've got a bunch of really good candidates running. Um, I think at some point, um, you know, and, and those reforms were done um, back when so many council members were taking these little bribes. Um, you know, they made it these incredibly restricted. You couldn't give more money and you couldn't do all this stuff. But, you know, we're the seventh largest city in America. We've got an incredibly booming population. Um, we've got real problems, real, you know, real problems for people to solve. Um, anyway, I hope the reforms keep coming.
0: Well, I think that's a, a sort of good segue into one of the things I want to talk to you about. I'm I'm kind of going to take this opportunity to discuss some things that, you know, look state and and city politics, specifically city and municipal politics, are such that it's not on the news. So, what is the you know what is the effect of a bond? Why is that a big deal, or why is it not? A, these are things that you just don't really hear about unless you educate yourself you know, on your own. So I want to talk to you about some of those things. But one of the sort of reforms I wanted to talk to you about was when Scully came in, she talks about it in her book, which was sort of when you were involved in government, was this weird time where it sounds like it was kind of Backslapping, nobody doing their job. Everybody was just kind of had roots in their chair. So nobody was getting fired. And just the wild thing she talked about how, you know, porn use and nobody even had a computer policy. And just all sort of these simple things that you would think would be part and parcel of the seventh largest city in America. So you had this huge set of reforms then. I mean, what do you think sort of is the next kind of set of reforms to move San Antonio forward from a municipal government standpoint? And obviously, we don't need to granulate it, but just kind of generally, what are some of the things that maybe we need to launch us forward?
1: Yeah, well, one, I, I, I like the idea of extending term limits and raising the amount of money that you're able to raise in order to be able to keep a true political shop going. By the way, Justin, that's not very popular with like the average person. Yeah. Because, like you said, they don't really understand. They think that it, that you're, you know, you're buying some vote or you're, you know, um, when you're truly not. I mean, you, you know, we could raise, we could double the amount of money that you could give so people could and elected officials could communicate with their constituents. Look, when you send out a mail piece, you, you know, it costs money to mail an entire district. Um, The next thing I would do, I would extend the amount of time that uh, um, when you elect somebody that they would serve four years and that I would move it to a four year to two terms, but let them serve for four years. Let them really be able to establish a vision, not constantly have to be running for office and be able to actually see that 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 vision occur. Yeah. Then every four years. Let them raise enough money to go campaign and talk about why they should get reelected. So I would, I would, um, I like the fact that, that the council is now paid. Um, we've made some pretty major reforms to get it to be a more professional atmosphere. Um, you know, the, the big controversial step would be to get rid of the city manager form of government. Um, I, I don't support that yet. I think that we would have to, we would have to um, have a lot of confidence in the mayor and the city council members. And to do that, I think you you get to two, four-year terms. You're able to raise money in Houston. Um, for the mayor's race, it's a $5,000 uh, campaign contribution limit and I think $2,500 for the city council. I would do the same thing here. yeah. Um, and that way you expect more. Um, and people ought to, you, you know, all the, all of the the people who give money will hate me for saying this, but you ought to run a really professional level campaign and be able to communicate with people um my understanding
0: was and i could be totally wrong on this but did the city manager form of government kind of come along with the good governance league movement of the sort of 70s
1: ish yeah that that, that's right i mean you wanted they wanted to take a little bit of politics out of the management of city hall and look we've had a number of really good city managers um we've also had some poor ones yeah um you know scully is the one who i spent the most amount of time with obviously and and she was just um, she was just cut from a different cloth. I mean, her ability now. She, looked, she rubbed people wrong. Um, nobody wanted a city manager that was going to make everybody feel good. <laughs> Cheryl <laughs> was the perfect city manager because yeah. she wasn't afraid to ruffle feathers. You know, there was a patronage. You know, back to the point in Cheryl's book. You know, there were plenty of people who were relatives, and and you know, nepotism wasn't necessarily looked down upon. Yeah. And it led to a lot of people just kind of, like you said, growing roots in their chairs, not really making things happen. Um, That's not what people. That's not a professionally run organization. Cheryl went in and literally changed the culture of what the city manager is expected to do, and Eric Walsh is doing a great job. And so I would hate to see Eric pay the price um, for you know getting rid of the city manager form of government. But when you look at Houston. Um, you know that's a dictatorship. That might that takes it to a different extreme. Does it have that? You, know, much? you don't get on. You don't get on the agenda unless the mayor blesses you. Is that right uh, in Houston? So there ought to be. I, you know, I think the perfect form of government would be somewhere in between, um, where you had uh, the mayor staff. Um, you'd have to increase the mayor staff tremendously in order to keep up with all of the different departments. So um, I don't think I don't think San Antonio is ready for it yet. But I think that that's in our future. I think certainly in our lifetime, we will go from a city manager, formal government to a strong mayor.
0: Well, reading her book reminded me of reading Jack Welch's book about him turning over GE, sort of the way she approached things kind of in the top three. Let's fo- you know focus on our core competencies. Let's improve our personnel internally. Like it really had a lot of um, sort of corollaries to each other, which I was surprised to to read and think until, you know, she puts a, a fine point on how big their budget is and you realize, Oh, it is a corporation. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. It, it, it's a massive multi-billion dollar corporation and you need professionals running it. Um, and so, you know, look, the, the reforms that Cheryl put in, when you look at all of her assistant city managers that have gone on to become city managers and other uh, major cities across the country, um, it's a testament to what Cheryl did. Um, you know, she's kind of like the Nick Saban. His offensive and defensive coordinators are all now getting head coach jobs, including our new head coach at the University of Texas. Um, you know, so you look at all of her assistancy managers and where they are now. Um, They're leading great American cities.
0: Yeah, she walked through a lot of those with us. Um, So outside of sort of the internal politics side of it, one of the things in her books and one of the things that you also tout was y'all's success in passing passing bond initiatives. Christian, I mean, I'm going to... pretend I have no idea what a bond is? Because honestly, I mean, I think, okay, you put a couple cents on a sales tax and it pays off over a long amount of time. I think that's probably the 101, but generally how does it work and why has it been so sort of transformational and such a big deal for San Antonio to
1: finally start passing these big bond projects? You know, Justin, it's it's incredibly important um, because the average city budget, you can't go think big. You can't go after big monster infrastructure projects um, if you just relied on the city budget. So there are two things, and this is going to get way down into the weeds, and I'm sorry I'm going to do this to you, buddy, but but the credit rating of the city um, and why Cheryl used to tout the fact that we were AAA plus bond rated was incredibly important because we could borrow money at a very low interest rate, and we would borrow in the bond election the most amount of money Without raising people's taxes, right? And because we had a AAA bond rating, we could go borrow. I think the first big bond um, that I ran for Hardberger was 550 million. The next one was under Castro, which was 696 million, and then under Mayor Taylor, I ran the campaign for 850 million. Wow! And so we're talking about two billion dollars worth of things that we care about: parks drainage. They're not sexy things, by the way. Parks are probably the sexiest things. But, you know, who wants to spend a lot of money on drainage? Well, people were dying (laughs) and you couldn't have development in neighborhoods without great drainage. Well, who cares about that stuff? That's what we would fund in the bond. Um, Major um, infrastructure like streets, um, parks, libraries, uh, major investment in libraries. So those were the the four major categories that we would focus on. Um, and then uh, you know, so think about two billion dollars worth of roads, parks, streets, and libraries. What does that do? That attracts businesses. Yeah. Um, that are looking at cities and they're saying, "Well, what cities are investing in their themselves?" When you go out to Hardberger Park now on a weekend, that was we got Phil Hardberger Park in a bond election. That was just going to be an average suburban neighborhood that would have been developed rather than a state-of-the-art um, biggest investment in the inner-city park uh, in any city in 25 years. Wow! Um, and, you know, you go out there on a weekend and it is jam-packed yeah. with people recreating and kids and families and, and um, you know, major investment in our city and in the health of, of the citizens. That's why, that's why people will move here and why you, you'll attract businesses is the San Antonio Riverwalk. Think about this, Justin. When we did in the first $550 million bond campaign under Phil Hardberger, the San Antonio River only went as far as Jones. From Jones mm-hmm. North, it was full of homeless, drugs. You wouldn't go anywhere near the Pearl at night unless you wanted to take your own life in your hands. Um, and now it's one of the shining lights of our city. Yep. That's what a bond campaign does for you is we were able to put, I think it was about $125 million into the, the ditch itself and to create the river. We raised an additional hundred million dollars for the art and to make it very pleasant for people to walk or ride a bike or take your kids down on. And then Kate Goldsbury and, and Pearl um, Silver Ventures turned around and said, well, if you guys build that, here's what we'll do to the pearl. And originally it was going to, it was going to create it was something like 10,000 permanent jobs and you know X number of millions of dollars in, in revenue. And so far, here we are, I think it's 15 years later or 12 years later. Um, it's 10 times the amount that we were originally oh. projecting. It's something like 40,000 permanent jobs. And when you look around the pearl, and, and, and I'm at the cellars, um, when you look around the, the, where the yard is, at all the new housing and new urbanism, it's less stress, less urban sprawl, less stress for police officers and fire. Um, so th- as you densify in the inner city, um, it's less stress on all of the public works. Um, So it was just a win, win, win for everybody to enjoy this fantastic place, an extension of the river. We're not putting stress on the utilities. um, And that's, that's the big benefit of a, of a bond campaign.
0: And then is it just paid off generally as an installment plan or is there a sales tax or something included?
1: No, no, no taxes were increased. It's just a part of the general revenue funds go off to pay, um, to pay down the bonds each year. And so, we can, you know, the way that, that it's set up and the way that Cheryl put the system in is about every five years, you can add a new bond issuance. Um, I, I would say that if COVID 19 didn't happen, um, the next bond would literally be a billion dollar bond. Mm. And when you think about the infrastructure and how we get to invest in ourselves, what you could do with a billion dollars in street improvements. Um, before Cheryl uh, and before I was here, there were decades and decades of deferred maintenance on on major thoroughfares and streets and bridges. No major parks, libraries. All of those things were incredibly stressed, um, and no big um, uh, investments in the things that we care about. So now, with those bonds, you're able to catch up over time, um, so that deferred maintenance um, we're ahead of our schedule. And we're able to complete major thoroughfares in the city.
0: And how does something get included into one of the bond packages?
1: Mm-hmm. They're actually just now starting to entertain big bond packages. Um, so city council members um, get to weigh in very heavily and say, look, in my district, these are, these are major thoroughfares that need attention. They need new lights. They might need extra widening. Um, there's a big drainage problem. Um, Certainly on the west side of town, just outside of the city, downtown, when you look at those drainage ditches um, that were created 40 and 50 years ago, they're death traps, (laughs) right? If you're caught in them when it rains, you know, people would be swept away and they died versus converting it back to um, what Nelson did with the Museum Reach, which was another bond issuance, um, where it returned it to natural grasses and the water would seep into the soil rather than create these Concrete funnels, yeah. um, which is the way it was done 30 or 40 years ago, you know, just to get the water out of downtown as fast as you could. Well, it killed a lot of people um, Would would get caught in those culverts and drowned. So you look at those drainage projects and you just start clipping them off. Every council member could, could probably come up with a billion dollars worth of needs themselves. But, you know, it's um, Cheryl instituted a thing called rough proportionality, which is You might do a drainage ditch on the north side, but it really protected, um, you know, we're on a slant. Yeah, (laughs) the city is. And so you do a drainage project up here, but you're really protecting the people in in another council district. Does that council member take the penalty for it? So they try to take the amount of money and spread it across the 10 districts to make sure that there was rough proportionality to how the money gets spent.
0: And is there a committee sort of appointed to to sort of work through this?
1: Yeah, there were a number of committees in the different campaigns. There were usually, um, when you think about streets and drainage, there was usually um, uh, the mayor would appoint the two chairs, and then each of the 10 council members would appoint two people. So you'd have a committee of 24 people, and they would host meetings all across the city to get public input, then they would come back and say, on streets and drainage, we're making the recommendation. There are 400 projects that need to be done. We were allocated X amount of dollars. Here are the 120 that we recommend you spend money on. Rough proportionate to around the city. Huh. Lots of impact, lots of feedback, lots of community meetings. And then they, the council, the, the city staff would put together um, the finalized project list for all of the categories. The council would vote on it and then they would hand it over to me and I would run a campaign um, to go district by district to talk to people about what you get out of this bond. We're not raising taxes. We're able to borrow the money at a very, very low interest and get these major projects basically accelerated from getting it done 10 years from now. We can do it now. Um, yeah. And I want to enjoy those things now.
0: Say, say that again? I want to enjoy those things now.
1: Yeah, right. Of course. I, mean, I think we most people it. do. Yeah. And, and and I think that, um, you know, without raising taxes, I think was the right call. Um, you know, if you raise taxes marginally, you could almost, you could really increase the size, but nobody wants to hear about raising taxes right now. You just can't, you can't win it um, because people are always saying, yeah, but then you'll never reduce them, um, <laughs> which right. I, I understand. <laughs> so I've, I've seen it happen plenty of times.
0: So- this is a good sort of time to talk about taxes and sort of what's coming up in May. We have we have a new round of elections because we're always in elections in San Antonio. Um, I mean, obviously Brockhouse is running. Obviously Ron's running. Um, you know, this show tries to be really non political. I mean, I like Ron. You know, Brockhouse he he said he was coming on the show three times, bailed all three times. So I think he's scared of my hard hitting questions, <laughs> is my guess. But we'll never know. <laughs> Um, but what do you think is going to really talk to voters and resonate with voters, considering this sort of cluster of, of what we're living in right now from, you know, economic anxiety to, to the shutdown and just it's a different time. How do you think uh, people running for office should speak to people?
1: Jobs, jobs, jobs. That's it. Yeah, it, it, the, the, it's it's it's, you know, the old James Carville line from the war room. Um, it's the economy, stupid. Yeah. And, you know, we have taken a nosedive and, and Justin, you know, one of the saddest things I've ever seen was the line um, for food. Yeah. Um, and the the food bank and what Eric Cooper is doing at the food bank is just one of the most remarkable things ever. But it also um, it you know, there are people that are going to go hungry tonight. Kids families that are gonna go hungry tonight in the city. Um, And we brag about being the seventh largest city and all this great economic growth and everything. It came to a screeching halt. And it was like being hit in the face with a frying pan when COVID hit us and we lost, you know, this uh, majority of the businesses downtown, restaurants, hotels, you know, our tourism came to a screeching halt. And, you know, even if, if, if COVID ended today, how many years does it take to generate those conventions and who wants to go to a convention right now and be, be packed into a room? How are we going to fill those hotels? Those jobs aren't going to come back, buddy. Those jobs, they will, it'll just be time and certainly not enough time the, the people that, that work there that lost their jobs, they're going to have to find other jobs.
0: So how do you talk about jobs from a mayor? I mean, they're kind of limited in what they can do to stimulate the economy and create jobs on a local level. So how do you speak to local voters for a local election in terms of generating jobs, especially during a shutdown and pandemic?
1: If I, if I were running for mayor, um, I would get Jenna uh, Salcedo, who I think is remarkable. I would get Richard Perez with the Chamber of Commerce. I would put every CEO and business leader in this city on an absolute mission to create good paying, high paying jobs with a future. And I would go out and I would recruit every business that is thinking about relocating to a city. Um, Obviously, Texas with no income tax. Um, I would put, you know, every major CEO, I would put Graham Weston to work for me. I would put Gordon Hartman to work for me and say, your city needs you right now. And and if and if there was a business out there with 50 or more jobs that was looking for a place to call home, I would make sure that they knew what San Antonio had to offer. Yeah, um, You know, you look at the investments that Julio Castro made in education with pre-K for SA and Cafe College and being able to say, no, 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 you don't have to go off to go. You don't have to go to another city to get a good job. You don't have to go to another another area to get a good education. You can get them all right here and stay here. Um, and the brain drain, he, um, they did a great job of slowing the brain drain. It's not all gone, yeah, but of slowing it down. Um, but the next thing that people want is they want high-paying jobs. They want to know that, that their jobs aren't going to be data center jobs. We need them. Data center jobs are important, but they're not – they're not, how do you get those 70 and $80,000 a year jobs here? I would go on a mission for the next two years. I wouldn't do anything but focus on how do we bounce out of a rut in 08. Um, you're, you're younger than I am, Justin, you son of a bitch. Um, but in 08, when the housing crisis happened across America, right? San Antonio was, I mean, we kind of felt it and we heard about it on the nightly news. But we, it didn't really happen to us. Yeah. Um, we have been bubble proof because of an exploding population, um, better educated. You look at the the average family income is on the rise. Um, you know, COVID-19 hit us right where it hurts the most. Um, and I think it's going to take us a while to rebound from it. Um, see- and if I were either Greg Brockhouse, I think Brockhouse is going to drive that message home with Nuremberg. Um I'm not afraid to admit it. I, I support Ron. Ron's a friend of mine. I think very highly of Ron, um, and I also know Greg Brockhaus really well. I consider Greg a friend. He is a hard charging. He is unapologetic, um, and he is going to go out there with a message, and it's going to be right at Nuremberg's chin.
0: You know, when he's um, not doing the the theatrics, he's got good bullshit, and he's pretty funny.
1: He's got good bullshit, and 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 by the way, it it he he's got a motor um, that never stops running. Sure. He, he is, he is getting it done all the time.
0: What do you think is, so I'll just be honest. I, I tried to sort of get more information on Ron's jobs program. I had order be on the show and, and I had a lot of people reach out to me and just sort of say, I like the idea, but nobody can give us details on how it's going to work. Um, do you know how it's going to work? Do you think it will affect this election any? Cause, and I'm not being rude. I think it's a fantastic idea But it just seems to be really very
1: early on in the idea stage still. It's very early on in the idea stage. Um, I can't explain it to you. You know, I saw a report the other day about the amount of people that they were going to hire, which I think is a mistake. I think it's, you know, just to do the, like, job training and stuff, they're going to hire 60-plus people. Um, Greg Brockhouse is going to ram that down Ron Nuremberg's throat. If, if they can't explain it by the time May comes around, um, it's a vulnerability for the mayor. Um, if he asked me, I would tell him. I think it's a vulnerability. I think, um, and Brockhouse knows how to, how to exploit those things. Yeah. Uh, I think that there needs to be a lot of meat on those bones now. I was for it passing because um, I believe in Ron. I really do. I'm going to support him. I'm going to write him a check. I'm going to help raise money for Ron. Um, but it's a vulnerability if they don't get their arms around it in a hurry And start talking about how do we put, not not just talk about it, but make it happen. Those are two very different things um, to where we're hiring those people that we were just talking about um, that lost their jobs, that don't have a year. You know, the the stimulus checks um, and, you know, eventually the landlords are going to want rent. Yeah. You know, I mean, this is, there's a disaster in front of us. And we need need to, you know, if we rest on our laurels for one moment, um, we're going to be paying a long-term penalty.
0: I mean, I, I do as a small business owner wish there was some sort of call to action for all of us from our local leaders, because I sat there and I thought, you know, I bring in interns and I train them from a paralegal program and also law students. And it's just kind of what we do. But if the city was asking us to train people for legal assistant or paralegal, we would not turn that down and we would give that opportunity. I feel like there's there is a huge well of people wanting to help in ways like that, that just haven't been asked to help. And I was hoping that was going to be the jobs program,
1: but maybe it will be. I don't, I don't know. I think that there are a lot of, unfortunately there are more questions than there are answers today. Still, what do you think? At least my point of view. And I think your point of view. Yeah, I know. And I think you're right. Like, I think that, that, that everybody wants to rally. Everybody wants to see our way out of this, um, disaster. Um, you know, which is nobody's fault. I mean, it's a pandemic. It's that's a virus. Right. What can we do about it? Well, you know, lean on the people that want to help make this city grow and be and be the best place on the planet to live. Um, but, you know, a lot of people are still waiting to see.
0: So I've, I've watched a few episodes of the, of the Brock cast, and really it seems like, you know, that Greg's trying to play on sort of that, that Trump fervor and fever that's out there. Do you think that has much play in san antonio these days or do you think that's kind of trending away here uh
1: you know justin this this past week was such a um you know it was just such a sad moment in our democracy certainly one of the one of the lasting memories of of our lifetime will be 9-11 uh and what happened at the united states capitol on yeah, Wednesday last week um i think that uh I mean Trump won Texas going away. Wasn't that close? Um and and I thought that there was a chance that Biden was going to be competitive. I was wrong. <laughs> it, it just broke my heart, man. I you know, I so badly want to you know, want to say we're one cycle away, you know, and I've been saying that now for 20 plus years involved in in politics, you know. So I think that there that Trump has got a big voice. And I think that Suspending his Twitter account, maybe permanently and Facebook and all that stuff. He's not going to be silenced. And I don't think a lot of the, a lot of his supporters are going to be silenced either. Um, I think that they see Brockhouse as a, as their vote. Um, so how, what is that? What is the baseline of the Trump voter in San Antonio? 38%.
0: Oh, you think it's that right?
1: high? Oh yeah. Oof. Oh, absolutely. Okay. It's that high. All right. It might be higher. Um, But I would say, I would say 38%, depending on how, um, you know, last Wednesday affects people. Um, And I think Brockhouse goes in, you know, look, we're going to be talking about margins, a tiny, tiny little margin. We'll separate Ron from Greg. In the last election, it was 1,500 votes. I forgot about that. 1,500 votes. Yeah. Right. That's an apartment complex. Yeah. You know, if uh, they go one way or another, they decide the future of the of the race. Um And you know, look, Ron opened the door for Greg to be able to to be that that strong. Um, look, I don't know um, if you follow the polling that I do with Bear Facts closely or not, but Ron and his handling of COVID nineteen, his popularity went through the roof. It started to come back down to from a stratospheric you know, Phil Hardberger level back down to a kind of more moderate, but he's still in the upper sixties. Okay. Um, He's, he's a popular mayor. People like him. They like his response. Now that the vaccine's out now that we're four months away from the mayoral election, I think Ron's got to pivot and not just do the the nightly updates with Nelson Um, that is job training. We were just talking about, I think that that's gotta, you've got to put a lot of meat on the bones and deliver, Um, you know, or I think that this race is going to be as close as the last one.
0: What about city council races? Do you think, do you think there's any big movement for people to start changing, or do you think people are going to kind of vote for the incumbent as they seem to normally do?
1: No, they're going to vote for the incumbent. (laughs) There won't be a lot of change. I think that, um, um, you know, there are a couple of, 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 of council members that are term limited out Rebecca Villagran, Shirley Gonzalez, Roberto Trevino is talking has talked about running for mayor. I don't think he does it in the end. Um, there's a young guy running against him named Mario Bravo, who was, um, a, a, he's a good friend of mine. Uh, we kind of grew up together in politics. I had drinks um, with Mario at my house the other day.
0: Oh, no kidding. I just cold no called him and said, Hey man, I'd like to meet you. And he came over for beers.
1: Yeah. He's, he's pretty good. A guy. He? Yeah. He's a good dude. Uh, yeah. yeah he's, a, he's a good dude. And, and he is, he is honest as the day is long. Um, he, you know, ran a nil thought out campaign against Paulo Lozando and got crushed. Yeah. Um, nobody was going to beat Paulo Lozando. I yeah. don't care who you are. Um, but you know, Paul knew where where every all the bare bodies are buried in yes. County. <laughs> and uh, um, but I think you know, people looked at Mario and said, "Well, you know, should we take him seriously or not?" You know, this election will will really define him. I think um, you know he better take it better take it seriously or that, he'll be watched out as like kind of a guy that always runs for office. And I mean that Gilbert
0: a, Garcia article was, I mean that Gilbert Garcia done write a lot of nice articles about people. It seems like, and it was a very yeah. good article about Mario, which really was yeah. the impetus for me wanting to meet the guy.
1: Yeah. Well, he, he's, he's, he's as good as advertised. Yeah. Um, and he and I grew up under the same political mentor, a guy out of Austin named Ed Winler, And huh. it was just a very, very strange, um, I was 28 years old and my best friend on the planet was 72, a guy named Ed Winliner, And it's, it was, it was like a, the, the, a very odd couple. Yeah. Um, and Mario uh, was in school at UT and he was one of our young upstarts in the political world. And, uh, I sure am proud of, you know, who he is and what he's become. And, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fan of Mario Bravo.
0: Yeah. I didn't realize how much he'd been through sort of the political world, uh, before he got here. Um, Yeah. You know, there's a million things I could talk to you about, but I I try to keep these around an hour. The last thing I want to talk to you about is what the, what happened in the Valley and what is the fix? And is that pendulum fixable or what are your thoughts on that? And just for perspective, I mean that Trump outperformed Democrats in the Rio Grande Valley, this election cycle in a very dramatic way, which was a shock to everybody.
1: Well, one you know, Justin, it's, it's so frustrating. Um, how do you get, how do you get the right messaging? Um, you need Hispanic leaders running political campaigns, which is why it's great to see this next generation of young Latino, um, political consultants, campaign managers, field directors. You had Jorge Irby on your, on your show. Um, he's, he's one Roger Garza, um, there are a number of these young guys coming up. And, you know, the truth of the matter is, if, it's, it's all about messaging. Biden shit the bed in his last debate against Trump when he's like, we're going to shut down fossil fuel industry. It's like, what? what uh, <laughs> um, have you seen the jobs that are in South Texas? Yeah. Right. Like if you don't have a high school degree or you just have a high school diploma, um, you didn't go on to college, you were a linebacker, you know, you're working in the, in the, in the oil patch.
0: And making great and you're money. Making, yeah.
1: You're making 85 grand. <laughs> There's no other job that pays you 85 grand. Right. None. Um, in order to stay at your hometown, you work in the oil patch, you know, um, and, and it's a decent career. You, certainly money that you're not going to get without a college education. Um, and to say, yeah, I'm going to take away all those jobs. Like, I didn't think that we would lose, what was it, Zapata County? Yeah. And it went to Donald Trump.
0: But some of the other counties swung by like 40 percentage yeah. points. I you mean, know, that's as dramatic as losing Zapata, which Zapata is probably the most conservative down there anyway. Uh,
1: you know, Frank Garrett spoiled it all for us. But, you know, um, uh, you, you know I think that um, uh, you've got to have Latino leadership at the highest level of any campaign in America And if you don't, you're a moron Yeah, And you know I think that that um, uh, The Biden campaign Needed more Latino leadership um, And messaging And strategy And by the way, that goes for the entire Democratic Party I do not give anybody um, a, a, You know A pass on that um, But the, you know the, the flip side to that coin is For Generations and generations, um, Latino leaders were just always circumvented um, by uh, by Anglos. Um, I was one of them. Um, They got a lot of the premier jobs in politics. Um, Now, I'd like to take it as a point of pride that I would always, you know, kind of help with that bench and get them in and at high level positions in the campaigns. Um, And that was a point of pride for me. Um, And it's awesome to now see that here are the leaders, Jorge, and these great leaders of of these big, much bigger, larger campaigns now. Yeah. Um, But it's been absent from the Democrats for a long time. And if we don't take it seriously and if, you know, we we keep talking about, you know, in 2002, I was involved in the Tony Sanchez campaign for governor and we were going to go awake the sleeping giant. Um, and then we didn't hire any Latinos to go awake the sleeping giant. And it's been like that for 20 effing years, Justin.
0: Was that the year Marty Aiken was running too? Yes. Did I tell you my cousin ran that campaign, that Marty Aiken one? Billy Horton?
1: Your cousin? Billy Horton. Oh my God, you're kidding me. Did you know that? Oh, I did not know that, but he hated me. Hated my guts. Well, one, because he was going to run for governor against Tony. Yeah. And so I did a whole bunch of nefarious things to the Marty akins <laughs> campaign. And your cousin hated my guts and hit and along with a guy named John Hatch.
0: I didn't know uh, John.
1: And uh but Marty Akins and I ended up, you know, he switched, didn't run for governor, ran for comptroller. Oh, that's right. And yeah. um, uh and Marty Marty still uh, Marty was a great guy then, he's a great guy now.
0: Uh, you know, I called Poncho Navarez after the election and I asked him the same question. And he said, oil and gas and defund the police. He said those things just yeah. killed us down there.
1: Yeah, Justin, if you go, if you go to, to my website, barefacts.org. Sorry to plug my site on wow, your glad video, you did. We do we do a bunch of podcasts as well with local leaders and talk through. So every quarter I do a poll and I fund it. It's it's through a nonprofit and I pay for everything. Um, And I brought on um, an executive committee of Republicans and Democrats because I don't want it to be about me or just about Democrats. I really want it to be about what makes San Antonio and Bexar County better and to keep our leaders accountable to what's important to them. And so if you go check out in poll four of last year, um, you know, I tested the defund the police message and the defund the police message was could be the stupidest political messaging point of all time. Defund the police. By the way, amongst African-American voters in San Antonio, 65% said, don't defund the police. For God's (laughs) sakes, if there's a crime going on, I want a cop to show up with a gun. There was a large
0: percentage that wanted more police presence in their neighborhoods, African-Americans. Of course,
1: we want more police. And we want them armed. What we do want, though, and this is very important, is when you look at the shit sandwich, yeah, it's crazy. Um, we need that power to be with the chief, and the chief to be able to fire an officer. Look, if you're so mentally deranged that you would serve somebody a shit sandwich, right? You you, you need psychological evaluation for your life. Yeah, you are most likely should end up in a rubber room, and that one his only offense back on the police force. Yeah, and so when you look at the the amount of police officers and the stress that they're under. And their willingness to pull the trigger, especially around minorities um, and black people in particular, like that's a training thing or a firing thing. If you're going to panic and shoot somebody, you ought to be fired yeah, or you need to be trained. But defunding the police was could have been one of the dumbest political messaging points of all time. It was clear in our poll. And but but ironically, so. We tested what my message would be and what the defund the police message would be. And if you took money from the police department to better train, properly informed police officers, have mental health professionals so that your cops, right, aren't dealing with the mental health issues and that your deputy sheriffs aren't dealing with mental health issues. If there's somebody that's having a a mental breakdown or a mental issue, um, you call professionals in to deal with that person. Um, so that there's not a tragedy down right. the line um, and I think that um, if you were if you were to turn around and show on a budget priority how do you properly spend a police budget I would increase it but deal with things like mental health um, so that our our on the line officers that we rely on every day for our own safety um, aren't under, you know they're not being psychologists as well.
0: Well, I think you kind of hit the nail. On Sounds the like I'm
1: running for mayor. No, just I, I'm here to make
0: an announcement. Well, you're a political, <laughs> you're a political strategist. You can't help it.
1: <laughs> well,
0: one of the things that's always stuck with me is I think Democrats are so bad at messaging that you can get that movement message that just takes over the Democrats because they don't have an alternative. So defund the yeah. police just kind of happened out of these protests. And everybody was sort of stuck holding their, you know, arms together yeah. and not doing anything. So it just became part of the sort of the
1: discussion with Democrats when it really wasn't a
0: Democratic platform.
1: Yeah. And defund the police became the messaging point. And by the way, you know, there are real reforms that should happen with the police's help. The police and the reformers should not be at odds. They should be working together yeah. with community leaders and out having real discussions about how do we become better? And I know the police chief does. He runs into, and look, I I get criticized all the time. I think the world of Mike Kelly, who runs the San Antonio Police Officer Association. But if I were Cipolla, I would be working with the community and with the chief and with the activists to be able to say, how do we better serve you? How do we better integrate ourselves into your own community so that you're not afraid of us and vice versa? And together we can figure out policing in a way that everybody feels um, like the cops are on our side. And not everybody in this community feels that way. And that's, you know, um, a hurdle uh, that we should be able to overcome. It's this, you know, Justin, it's, it's this era of, um, you know, one of the very first books my dad gave me that I read was a book by George Washington called The Rules of Civility. Mm-hmm. And it seems like civility um, in, in this day and age is just gone the other, no sides will talk to the other, or, you know, you're a sellout and they're a sellout. And so you've just got to build these walls to where there's no communication. And, you know, in the end, we all pay the price for it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think I would love to see everybody sit down and say, we're going to, we're going to change these contracts instead of just holding on to them for dear life. Let's figure out a way to change them. So it works for everybody, but instead it just seems it's either all in or all out. And, that's not going to work out well for me and you in the long run.
1: That's right. And Mike Kelly is like, I've got to defend my police officers. Right. Well, you know what? Let's make sure that the police officers love to be here too, Yeah. but they also have the proper training right. and they know how to deal with situations. And let's expand the budget if we have to, to where we're including um, some of these ancillary things that we're putting the stress on police officers. There's a way to fix it, Yeah. but not if we don't sit down and talk.
0: So what is Bearfax Facts
1: before we leave the show? Yeah, so Bear Facts is a nonprofit that I formed with a Republican friend of mine um, who used to head the Chamber of Commerce named Lisa Baratachea and an African-American um, young man named DeMonte Alexander who worked with me on a number of campaigns. And so the three of us went out and we sought some of the guidance and counsel of friends on both sides of the aisle um, to be able to talk through in every quarter we publish, <clears throat> at great expense myself, um, a poll, and we do a deep dive on issues that are facing Bear County, the city of San Antonio, and you know what the public interest is. If you're Latino, if you're African-American, if you're Anglo, if you're a male, a female, we release all of the demographics um, and all of the results of the poll. Nothing is hidden from the public. It's all made for anybody to peruse. Our website is barefacts.org. Um, we leave all four polls published um, throughout the year and um, on Ksat we did a media partnership with the San Antonio Report and Ksat 12. Um, and you know you'll see me once a quarter, you know, going down breaking down the numbers and what they mean.
0: Cool. That's um, a great We'd love to have followers. you on
1: it, Justin. We'd love to love um, to yeah.
0: include you <laughs> in our executive board. I would love to do that. Yeah. If you if you have space for it.
1: Yeah, no, it's 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 a neat it's a neat thing. Yeah,
0: um, so I, I'm just going to do this this season. I always end my show with top three people I'd love to get on. Who would you recommend that I should try to get on the show? Phil Hardberger's on there, obviously.
1: Phil Hardberger. Yeah. I would go Nelson Wolf. You've had yeah. Cheryl. Um, I haven't listened to Pancho Novice, By the way, I'm dying to listen. to So it was the
0: day he issued that essay about sobriety. So it was very poignant. It was yeah. very open and honest, and it was great. And him yeah. and I are friends from a long time, 2007. So it was really nice.
1: You know, I didn't realize the connection. I've always thought very highly of him and I was sad to see him go down, but it sounds like he's making quite the rebound and, yeah, and I would do anything to support that guy. I think he's very bright. Yeah. So I would have, I would have Paula Gold Williams, the CEO of CPS energy on, um, who's a powerhouse, Nelson Wolf and Phil Hartberger would be my, well, you know, and by the way, you could never go wrong with someone like Henry Cisneros. um, you know, Henry is is a true gem in this community. And every time I get to spend an hour with him, you know, it's it's I, I wish I recorded the conversation because he's so genuine in his thoughts um, and and he cares so deeply about the city that I think he'd be a lot of fun to have on.
0: I'd like to get Strauss on too. Strauss. We have,
1: by the way, I beat you to it um, on our <laughs> Bear Facts podcast. You're going to beat me to all of them. So I'll, I'll take we're, second. We're, we do our podcast every two weeks. Um our very first interview was with Speaker Strauss. All right. Who was phenomenal. Okay. He was so good. And he and I didn't know one another. We, you know, we've been on the other side of the aisle. Um, but you know, uh, I just admire him greatly uh and thought he was a great leader for our state. Well I hope he runs for governor.
0: These are all great ideas. I do too. Um Christian stay on real quick, but thank you so much for doing this with us. Um, you know, once you publish some new ones, maybe I'll get you on, you know, I'd love to have DeMonte on too. I've met him before through some of the young leader stuff. I think I've, I've met him through that. Um, but I'd love to get him on too and talk about some of the stuff that he's, he's he's great.
1: I'm sure he'd love to come on.
0: Well, Christian, thank you so much. Sit tight real quick. I got a few off air questions I want to ask you. Sure. All right. Thanks.